and welcome to LawPod. I am Lee Hedgemantelis, the principal of Brighton's Lawyers, and today we have with us another very special guest, a gentleman with whom we enjoy both a commercial and a personal relationship. And today may be somewhat uncomfortable or odd for him because mm. he's on the other side of the microphone. Welcome to Andrew Voss. Is this cross-examination or interview? That's why I'm nervous. Well, I'll, I'll let you know, Andrew, as we go along, depending on how reluctant you are to proffer the information <laughs> that we seek and how much we need to delve into it. Okay. Uh, the, I don't believe there's any hidden CCTV footage of myself doing something that I, I will be answerable to here, but um, I'm open to it, Lee. No, no, no. You need, away. need to be careful of any questions that are that's somewhat specific about an activity, for example. You always think to yourself, oh, have they got video of it? Have they got mm. a recording of it? So you need to take great care when you answer those questions. I do have a number of a good lawyer, though, one 848 if I do get <laughs> in any trouble here. So I've got them on speed dial. Always a salesman. Thank you. Well, welcome aboard. Uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, as I said, no, I, I mean that when I said a little bit nervous. I am normally... Yeah, 99 times out of 100, I am the interviewer, not the interviewee. So excuse me if I don't pass the test. No, not at all. Now, you're a very busy man, of course. Now, we know that you're doing uh, breakfast now on SEN Radio, five days a week. Fox, you're calling, what, two to three games? Yeah, two to three games, yes. Busy. Now, do you have a role in the selection of the games that you pick? I mean, No, no, no. Just get the roster, find out where you've got to go. I mean, things have changed over the years because we used to travel everywhere and uh, that that's now no longer the case. And... You know, I, I feel very blessed to have worked through the halcyon days where, you know, if there was a game in Townsville, Auckland, Melbourne in consecutive days, you'd go to all three. You know, you'd fly from one to the other and, and accommodation and all of that. But the cutbacks and financial constraints and all those sorts of things, things have changed little bit different. We don't go to every game now. We're not broadcasting from every game, but that's the way it is. I mean, you buy the Olympic rights these days and you send teams of 10 to cover the Olympics and most of the team call it from miles away, other side of the world. So, no, that's just the way the broadcasting market is these days. All right. Is that, is that a challenge, though? Calling a game off a monitor, I know I've, I've spoken to Blocker mm. about this, but calling a game off a monitor, is there a challenge there? Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. It's, it's nowhere near as enjoyable, first mm. of all. And I'm, Lee, I'm like you, I'm yep. a footy fan. Yep. Cut everything away, what we do, our roles in rugby league. I'm just a footy fan. So you want to be there up close. You want to be experiencing the, the sounds and the feel and all those sorts of things. And you can't get that calling off the monitor but but I must say we've become very well trained to it that we I like to put myself in that headspace that I you know I don't I don't turn up and just muck about I I prepare and I get ready and I I, I sit for a good hour before the game thinking about how this is going to play out and get myself ready and very lucky with some very talented audio people and what have you and you hear the referee and the crowd comes through so we've adjusted but you know, it's not it's not perfect. No, because I always think that your vision is somewhat limited as well because you're only seeing mm. on the screen what the camera's showing you. Oh, that's you. right. Yeah. You can't look around to take him, say, the, the rest of the field, for example, or the crowd or, or, the, yeah. or the light. So there is a skill there and, and, and well done. I did have uh, cause to speak to one of your co-commentators recently, Dan Ganane. Right. And uh, I think he... I think he made. Did he call the Tigers Titans game on the Gold Coast? Or was oh that, was that, boy, was, he got the jo- he, he got, got the short straw, okay, did he? Okay. Yeah, okay. And it was the week after, of course, and yes. we're sitting there waiting for the Easter Monday game against yep. Paramount. And he looked at me and he says, "Oh, please, Lee, please give me something decent to yep. call today." Yeah. Well, we delivered in spades, of course, on the Easter yeah. Monday game. So I sent him a text, and then again we delivered last week, and he called that game as well. So I'm assuming he's going to be putting his hand up for all West Tigers oh, right. games. So he's uh, Parramatta fans thought I was their lucky charm for a while. When they first moved to Bank West, I had this unbelievable run of victory. It's just the way it panned out. And the, the times that I didn't do their games, they would lose. But every time I did that, I, I mean, I don't know how that works out. So I'm moving barred from the Tigers? Is that what you're uh, no, saying? No, 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 no. I think, you, I think you're going to be back on because his price is somewhat difficult to actually establish. 
because when I text him and he, he texts back and he said to me, uh, no, I must be the lucky charm, he says, of course, the two games they've won, he says, that must deserve a Ferrari. Oh, right. So I'm um, going to put that on the agenda now for the West Tigers' next board meeting. I'm happy with a Brighton's pen, <laughs> well, to be quite honest. It's outrageous. It'd be a shame it. Well, I've, disclo- I've disclosed that now, so we're going, to, well, we're going to end up down in front of the commission yes. somewhere. Very good. All right. Now, SEN Radio, enjoying that? Uh, yeah, it's a, look, I must say, I'll, I'll be totally honest, and that's what you want from me here. It's a, it's a challenge. It, I, I admire everyone, and always have, through working through television and radio, anyone who does the morning shift consistently. In particular, back in the day when I was at um, Channel 9, seeing those do the Today Show every day, the women in particular who had to get there, you know, an hour earlier than the blokes to go through makeup and hairdressing. I mean, that sounds like, well, that's not work, but it is at, it is at three in the morning. Mm. You know, and you have to be across all things news of the day. And even though we're a sports network, you still want to be well read on everything that is going on because we have we, we have the ability to change gears. If a big, big news story breaks in the course of the show, then we can break away from sport to cover that. So you need to be across all things, and that's certainly the case at the moment. Obviously, the um, election build-up is going to gain momentum. We're joking a little bit at the moment that we're election-free, but if something bigger develops and obviously we'll be across it and um, and with the, you know, very serious situations in other parts of the world we, we can't ignore it and, and nor do we so but just keeping across if I just limit it to sport to keep across everything in a busy morning there's a hell of a lot on the plate hell mm. of a lot but a- enjoyable absolutely now you're, you're on air from 6am yep so what time are you in the studio well I have the alarm set for 4.15 <laughs> okay. so that's my alarm normally 4 4.15 my body clock now is such that I don't even really need to set an alarm. It just gets actually a bit like Michael Maguire of the Tigers. Yep. I had a chat with him once. He says he doesn't need to set an alarm anymore because he gets up to train. He's so regimented. No, he, I just he's find, an early starter, there's no doubt. I, I just find the same and that if I have a week or two off, the, the body doesn't adjust. I'll still wake up at that time and um, ready to go. And it's pretty much just put the clothes on and on you go. Absolutely. I mean, I, I must say... My first start at Breakfast Radio, I was I, I had to go and see a doctor after a couple of months. I had bad reflux and all of this, and he called me a effing idiot. <laughs> he said, well, "Let's let's have a look at your diet. How it changed mm. in one hit? You're having three coffees before nine o'clock. You're having a bacon and egg roll. You're having a, a freshly squeezed orange juice, oh, and oh oh and this is all before nine. And then you'll knock off at nine, and then you'll get busy for the rest of the day mm. in your other jobs. And then you don't eat again till three in the afternoon. And your body's saying, "What the hell are you doing, Andrew?" So I did have to adjust things. I did uh, didn't handle things very well mm. early on. Yeah, interesting you raise content because, I mean, there obviously is a very heavy sporting emphasis. Mm. Okay, Now, your forte is rugby league, yep. no doubt, as is Greg Alexander's as well. But you delve so much into other sports. So now I'm assuming that you're well-read or you've mm. got good researchers, oh, got all, very, all of the above. Uh, Lee, I think very importantly, a very understanding wife <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, that understands the concept that watching sport is part of your job. Okay, And even when you're not on air... Mm. Keeping abreast of all things sport is important. So, you know, if I'm at somewhere, restaurant, and I'm checking in on Twitter, checking scores, then it is part of my job. I can't mm. break away from it. And and that's all sport. But, you know, I feel very blessed. I mean, you know, I do joke. Mm. Um, I've never worked a day in my life. I mean, it is like one continuous Bucks party covering sport mm. is the way I put it. We- weekends in particular, when you go off to the football and what have you, it is. I'm very lucky that I get to call talking sport and engaging with people about sport, my job. Well, it's fortunate that you do enjoy it that much because you are working seven days a week, no doubt, during the NRL season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And and I I would say that's 
in some ways not necessarily a great thing, Lee. Mm. Uh, you know, no, I, I, the, I have been no. told before that no one gets to their deathbed and says, gee, I wish I had to work more. <laughs> no, I think that's um, right. But it's very hard to get out of the cycle once you've been in it all your life. Like, I, I worked from the age of seven. Like, my first job was, a, was as a paper boy, like working in a news agent from the age of seven. So uh, I, I don't, you know, and I'd had a mum who'd worked, my dad died early. You know, I, mm. I know nothing but work around me and it becomes a bit... Habit forming. Uh, yeah, habit yeah, forming. I, I agree with that. Um, and the fan, is that still going? Are you still recording the yeah, fan? Yeah, fan's on too. We do okay. we do a lot of the um, work with a fan pre-season, like our busiest month. So that's what makes such a long year these years is that um, as part of the rights deal, and this is something the listener, the, the fan wouldn't know about, that uh, part of the rights deal is we get access to all teams before the season, a full day of media. That's true. And, and, can, and can knock over so much. And that's what we do with a fan. So... 50, 60% of the program gets shot in late January, early February. So mm. my year, you know, when, when other people say, oh, you, you've had a good off-season, you're not back till March. Well, no, actually, I've been on deck since, you know, we, we'll have our meetings in December um, and shooting in January and into February, and then the mm. season proper starts. So it's a long season, but it's a very enjoyable show to do. It's lovely yeah. being a storyteller. Uh, logistically, it's always a challenge as well because you don't know actually, you know, which players you're going to actually feature mm. as such. Who are the, who's going to yep. actually be available? I know with the clubs themselves, you put up players for promotional purposes. Yep. Um, you print up all your flyers, all your paraphernalia, and the yep. like. And sure enough, they get injured; they miss the entire season. Yeah, I know. Uh, State of Origin's <laughs> the same. We record TV commercials with a particular player, and sure enough, he gets injured; he's not yep. in the team. Yeah, so, so we, there we, is a challenge. We do. We have to have that flexibility, but we've got the lovely balance with a fan that it's a bit of the here and the now, but the but the past as well. Well, so we okay. can always, you know, go back and revisit. It's it's a blank canvas, really, and it is it is the show lives up to its name, the fan. It's just fans' perspective. We're yep. not controversial. We're out there telling good stories, funny stories, quirky stories, revisiting great moments, and very enjoyable to present with a very talented mm. co-host in Lara Pitt. And I've also got a note here that you're an author. Of course, you've written a book. Written a couple of books. Uh, well, I looked up one this morning, Stuff You May Have Missed. Yes. Still selling for $23.95. Is that right? That has held its own. Well, that's... No $2 bin there. Do you know, and you should do your research. <laughs> no, well, that, that, look, I've got to say, that just around that, I was given the offer to, to write the book and they said, well, here's your deadline. And I think it was, you know, first week of December something like that end of the year and I, I had that's 12 months out and then of course you get busy with the football season I kept saying right start this week do that all I ended up with was a whole lot of post-it notes through the season and I got to the postseason I hadn't even written a hadn't written a line and I had to produce 90,000 words I, I basically churned out 90,000 words in mm. in a month <laughs> it's like, well, once a, I sat down to get into it it just all effort. poured out so very enjoyable process, very happy with the result and let that be my legacy, let that, you know, to my sons, they can show their sons or daughters down the track, this is what this is what the old man did. Mm. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, about the lighter side of the game uh, mm. through the fan, for example, stuff you may have missed, for, I think that started on the footy show. It did indeed, it did indeed, Is there a void, is there a place for a footy show type of show today? I know we've got the Matty John show and that's very yep. funny on the Sunday yep. nights and the like, but there is still heavy football content in there. You've got the fan, but is there is there scope, you think, is there a place today for that footy show 100 percent. yeah i agree agree with you you. know we're all get over yourselves those that used to in its halcyon days Mm. i I do remember this and this is when we had and i'm not saying that this was and this wasn't every week but people used to say oh no blacks 
dressing up, you know, putting dresses on, blah, blah, blah. That's not, it's footage. Why don't they mm. talk more football? Well, when, when the blokes would, were putting dresses on in the occasional anti-ad where they were ripping mm. off playing the roles, and, and hilariously so, the, the major demographic watching were women. Mm. They loved it. The, the footy show was rating over half a million every Thursday. I mean, <laughs> you leave your PC to one side, just enjoy it. No, look, you know, I, it I wasn't agree. trying to be a 100% mm. rugby league show. It was loosely based around rugby league with Fatty. With Stur- like, Fatty should have won the Logie, mm. Gold Logie, five, six years. He outlasted all of them. Andrew Denton's and McAuliffe and all these have had night shows. He's a former back rower for Manly with a night show. You know, I, I just think they outside influences dictated the content of the program, and it was never meant to be a rugby league show okay. ever. Well, uh, look, Fatty, I don't, I don't know Paul that well, but I in fact flew back from the Gold Coast after the, the West Tigers and the Titans game, and the next yeah. morning we're at the airport together, and I was reading all the reports about it being perhaps the worst game in NRL history, and I said to Paul, I don't know if I got that vibe. I said to him, you know, was I watching the wrong game? What, what were your thoughts? He goes, oh, Lee says it was like two underrate teams running around out there. He says it was yes. terrible. I, I've got to say, it, it's part of that too with the talents of Fatty, and, and not that this was meant to be a you know pump Fatty's tyres up, but I, I got to work with Fatty in commentary as well. Very much underrated. And and this was back in the day where we used to do, you know, Friday night football, Saturday football, Sunday afternoon football, Super League year, we had Monday night football, that Fatty would have to be the only commentator in the box with you. And he could do all roles. He could be the funny bloke, you know, one of a kind. But he was also a terrific analyst as well. And, I, you know, Fatty undersells himself because when he was beside a Sterlow and a Gus, he probably let them take over. But I always found Fatty, uh, you know, a, a really good rugby league person just to talk rugby league with and entertaining as well, of course. Well, that's a view endorsed by Peter Sterling. Yeah. Uh, Peter Sterling once said, I think publicly, that he thought Fatty had one of the best rugby league brains yeah. that he's come across. Yeah. It's just that people consider him to be the committee and the joker, the sidekick. But he, he can well and truly take on that front front and centre role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, years have passed now and he's, he's comfortable where he is. But, uh, you know, I think... And, and it was the same when the show ended. I don't, I don't think people really realise what a great job he did. Um, so th- that's just one of the many people I've worked with over yep. the years, Lee, like that I've just been, you know, so lucky to, to and call friends, but, you know, just to spend that time away from camera and just, yep. and the best time is when you're sitting around an airport, you know what I mean, when you're, like, like you're saying, you, yep. you meet someone at the terminal, you, a plane's delayed, you, you know, talk there for an hour, it's just fantastic, talking footy and life. And Yeah, no, I agree, and I, and I really appreciate the opportunity of speaking with people like you and others off camera as well. Mm. Because people can be feel more comfortable, more mm. more freely. Because I mean, we are in the spotlight quite a bit. Yep. And if you say or do the wrong thing, for example, you can end up on the front page of the Telegraph or the back page, or whatever the case might be. So there's great care that needs to be taken as to. Well, I would say Gus is the one that I would put forward as the person, and and he's got a lot of haters out there. Like mm. he polarizes people more than any in rugby league. But I always say to those that are on the anti-Gus side, I say, well, look, I hope one day that you find yourself sitting next to Gus on a plane flight or mm. you know, in the terminal your flight's delayed because he is the best company, the best storyteller and, and he will engage you in conversation and get your opinion and, and tell some stories. No, there, there's some really good talent there in well, he, rugby league broadcasting. Gus engages, he's very active on Twitter yes. and it looks like he responds you know, and as you say, uh, he polarises opinion but he responds to all and, uh. and he's very consistent in his responses and to his credit. I mean, I may not agree with everything he says but that's fine but it, I, I genuinely respect his, you know, his entitlement to say it and he does yeah. and the other thing I like is in his new role with the Bulldogs as well, 
he's incredibly transparent. Like he'll 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 make the announcements on behalf of the club before anyone else gets it, mm. and before the media, and he drives the narrative, and which yeah. I think is to his credit something that I'd I'd like to adopt. I'll say this though, mm. now, this come this flies in the face of making a very very admirable speech there in the Ode to Gus. There's a pantomime actor waiting to get out there. Like he, the stuff I used to do with him at Channel Nine on a program called Boots and All, where I would just say to Gus, "Put the Parramatta mascot head on," and he would. And I'd say, oh, "Now, grab a corner post and run past, saying I got the post like you're a little kid on the field." He'd just do it. Hmm. Gus is an actor okay. uh, that, that, <laughs> that never got to realise his full potential. Only glimpses of Oh, I see. But he, a frustrated actor. And remember on the footy show. Yep. On the footy show, he got him to be a touch judge, you know, and he just played up to it yep. perfectly. He, he should have he should have expanded his, uh, his repertoire, his, his repertoire and, Gus. Oh, fair enough. I'll, yeah. I'll raise it with the next time I see mm. All right, Andrew, let's start at the beginning. Where did it all start? I mean, where did you school? Uh, I was schooled in Sydney, Ride East Public, which okay. which is notably the former school of Paul Sirenin. So there's a great yeah, tiger. Yeah, absolutely. So he was the year above me, um, big Ciro. And, and I remember that those days clearly um, because Ciro was just the king. He was as big as a kid as he was. You know, he, he was big Ciro back then. And I can remember him. This is how big my memory is from primary school. Paul played for the New South Wales under-11s at the oh, SCG. Dear. Now, that meant that he got the full New South Wales kit, which you couldn't buy back in those days in the 70s. You couldn't go to a sports store and buy the New South Wales apparel, the gear. You could not buy it. But he got the socks. I swear Ciro wore the New South Wales socks to school every day for the next two weeks after he represented New South Wales. He denies that. And good on him. But we were so proud of him. Um, so, But my sporting conquests there were, were uh, very moderate. And then I went to... Up the road from there was Malvina High, which was the state high school, and that's in the foot, sort of in the shadows of Holy Cross College, and that's where Ciro got onto a scholarship when scholarships didn't exist. He went off to Holy Cross, and I went to um, Malvina High in the right area, which is now I think it's called Ride Secondary College. Okay. Well, were you a partaker of sports in uh, your school days, or were you on the sideline commentating? Tried everything. Okay. Like wanted to be good at everything. Would be out in the backyard if there was just a, a shimmy of light. I'd be out there until absolute darkness and got called in for dinner. But you know, you ask anyone who knew me closely, Andrew, what do you want to be when you grow up? Want to be a commentator? Mm. And I and I said that from when I was sort of eight years old, and it coincided actually with my dad dying when I was eight years of age. And it's since been, and you know, speaking to professionals since, and it was something I investigated. And research when I did my book and I had to write about the death of my father and I was crying as I wrote it. Like, you know, I, I went to some areas that I'd never been to before in thought. But it was explained to me that when you go through a, uh, an act of that grief, that sometimes you look for something else to replace rather than go through the process. And it was obvious now in hindsight, rugby league was that thing. I lost my dad and I found rugby league and became an absolute nut about it. Like, mm. I was just... An absolute fanatic would go anywhere to see a game. It was my world, rugby league. You know, watching Rex Mossop, listening to Frank Hyde, listening to every radio station I could around the grounds on a weekend, all going to Leichhardt Oval on a Wednesday night, which was the closest ground to home, that rugby league became my world. So it replaced, you know, it became something that adults did, and I was only a kid, but I just became a fanatic. Well, it's interesting you raise the, the, the suggestion that you're so young when you actually identified what you're calling life may have been because I think Ray Warren tells a similar story doesn't he when he was very very young he was calling marble games yes. 
It's amazing. Well, all I was doing was the footy cards. Yep. I, I, I'd get the footy cards and, and there's a story again in the book that I, I sort of got the heads up there because I worked at my uncle's news agent, Shanahan's news agency at Dully Chill. And, of course, the footy cards would come each year and they'd come in their big boxes and they'd be out the back and I'd be going through opening oh, all the boxes. <laughs> now, they're, sorry, I might, I might need legal help here. Oh, you may. <laughs> so I was opening the packets, you know, handling the Scanlon's gum, going through the cards that I needed, swapping them with the ones I had doubles of, and I would have the full set. Yep like the first week. And then I'd be able to play with them on the floor and have the latest teams, you know, the photos of the footy cards. So have you kept any of those sets? I have. And oh. I tell you what, that's incredible. Those old cards, like unsigned, is just like $5 a card. Yep. Get them signed, signed. $70, $80. And yep. yes, I know. Now I've got a lot of those cards. Can't, can't throw them away, Lee. I'm a hoarder. Okay. Well, then how do we graduate then from a seven-year-old paper boy yes. to a caller of rugby league on the radio yeah. on television? What, what, yeah. what was the path? Handwritten letters to radio stations back in the day. Any recording I did of myself calling was just off the top of my head, not at a game. It was just, you know, to show that I could call. And the, the first little glimpse I got was at 2UE. John Brennan was one of the first people to reply to me. And he hooked me up with Peter Bosley as an around-the-grounds reporter when I was 16. And I went out keeping stats for Boz at games. And I went along to, like, I went along to Redfern Oval. There's Rex Mossop. You know, mm. it was like amazing. I went out to Lidcombe Oval. And these old ladies would make you pikelets and sandwiches and bring, and you got free food. And I thought, how good's this? Perfect. Yeah, you, know, you go to rugby league matches with a free ticket to get in. And I was keeping the stats for Boz and, and that was that. But, you know, getting a start in all those places, I... I most of the time, I didn't even get knockbacks. You know, your ABC or whatever just never even got back to you. So I never really got to the interview stage with anyone apart from these these little opportunities. And that's when I'm 16. I then get, when I left school, I got a full-time job at the Sydney Turf Club, you know, racing. So I was in that that field. And it was, um, it was this sliding doors moment that the Sydney Turf Club approached me and said, well, Andrew, you've been here now for two, three years. Everyone we've promoted through our... Our history has come from within. We'd like you. We think you're managerial material. We're going to station you out at Rose Hill as like a trainee manager, but you'll have to do some, you know, different education courses. So I enrolled at uh, TAFE in the city on a Tuesday night, and I went there thinking, what the hell am I doing here? And I'm signing up for all these things. And the next morning, Ray Hadley called me from out of the blue saying, oh, I noticed your letter here at 2UE. You're interested in rugby league. Would you like to work for us on weekends? Oh, you're you're the guy from the Sydney Turf Club because I'd seen Ray out at the races on Wednesday. Just a hello, I, like I knew him. He didn't necessarily know me. He put the two together, and then I had to go to the Turf Club, you know, a week later and say, "I'm sorry, I'm I've had this offer to start weekend work," and they were very understanding. They could see this is my dream, and they let me shut the door on what they had planned for me. Let me stay working during the week with them and chase my dream on the weekend, working for the radio, answering phones and whatever I had to do at a radio station. Well, Ray started life, of course, as a taxi driver, yeah. and Ray Warren was a policeman. Yeah. So they found their way in the commentary, but yours was more a direct route. Well, a, a little. In, like, in a sense, honestly, yeah. um, I, I'd been at TUE six, seven weeks, and I was on air already. Like, I was doing around-the-grounds reports then, you know, reports, news reports, and that in a very short space of time, as rusty as I'd be embarrassed to hear them back now if someone had a recording of them. But that was 1987, so it wasn't really, though, until 1992 that I started calling games. So it's quite an apprenticeship, Lee. Okay. You know, you just bide your time. And I found, and that'd be my, my same advice to anyone. I know media is different now, but mm. I'd say to any young person who gets a start, go any way you can. Like, any experience is an experience. I even say that to my own sons. Any experience is, is an experience. So when they say, Andrew, 
do you want to go and cover Bathurst? Oh yeah, oh, love motor racing. Mm. Like you know, I knew nothing about it, but off I went. I did that, and and you just put your hand up to do things. And if there's a news story to cover, go do that. And I've done that over the years. So I just picked up that experience. And by the time you get your chance, you're so much ahead of the game. You know what I mean? Because you've no, had that experience and rounding and being thrown to on the spot to do things. And I, 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 I thank the background. I thank my upbringing, if you like, in the media that I had because it was, had to work for it, well, worked long hours for it, but loved it. But having a desire to do something and having a talent for it are two different things. So you had the desire, but yeah. you've obviously got the talent. But when when did you realise that you had the, you were actually talented? Oh. I, mean, I, know, I know it calls for some sort of self-analysis, but when did you realise, oh. oh, hang on, I can really make a living out of this. This is, will be the oh, fulfilment of life's yeah. passion. Interesting, yeah. Never thought of it in dollar terms at all and living, but just thought that I could call football. And, and my auntie would say, my dear old auntie Enid, would say you're the next Ray Warren <laughs> like this is all those years back I would go to old MCO Cup games go down to the fence and scream my head off behind a kick and then go home to watch the replay later that night and rep say look at the kids there's at the fence that would give me a huge buzz I just I just knew I could do it but I didn't know how I was going to get there so I'm very grateful of the opportunities that I've been given and basically my first start was at the old sevens tournament so on a Friday night, I was given 14 minutes basically to prove myself. It was, it was Dragons v. Balmain Tigers at, I was at, at a sevens you, you tournament at the Sydney okay. Football Stadium. And I must have gone okay in that seven by seven because John Brennan called that night, must have called Ray that night, Ray Hadley, and said, oh, the kid went okay, give him some more games over the weekend. Then that's where it started. I just called <laughs> 14 minutes and then were given some more games. And then, of course, whenever Ray was away or there was something else to call, I'd be, I'd be there doing it. Okay, so you started on TUE then? Yeah, Radio TUE. Do you recall your first NRL or ARL premiership game? Well, the first, well, look, the first game I called on television I remember very well was um, was Parramatta and West at Parramatta Stadium. And I was in a band at the time. Lee, you probably didn't see this coming. <laughs> I was in a band no, my called... Re, my researchers missed that so, one. So I was in a band called 100 Dead Marines and we had a, a yeah. gig up at Broadway the night before, just from forgetting the name of the pub that we had. And, and suddenly Nine said... You're calling a game on Sunday, but I've got a commitment to my mates to, you know, we're still going to perform Saturday night. Like, this is worth, like, oh, 70 bucks to the band. I mean, nice. 70, bucks, 70 bucks between the five of us. So I've gone the night before and performed, and that's back in the day, smoky rooms and all that. And I'm, I'm pretty dusty the next morning, the throat. And, I, and this is on the day that I'm calling for Kerry Packers Network. Now, I called that first game for them in 1994, and Gary Burns was the sports director at nine, and Kerry Packer had watched that game and said he's never to call again on the station. <laughs> and Gary Burns had to stick up for me, and oh I was given a second opportunity. But that that shows you how, yeah, yeah uh, interesting yeah, yeah. moment in your career that well, things could go differently. Well, a couple of things you've raised now that we've got to explore. A hundred mm. dead Marines. Yes. Did you play an instrument? Ah, uh, yes, guitar and, and sing. Yes. Nice. Um, okay. And who are your musical influences? Uh, we were just as fast and loud as we could play Leaf. Okay. Uh, we're called what would be described as a thrash band. You know, regulars at the Evening Star Hotel down at Surrey Hills, mm. Palace out near the SCG, all the big venues. Uh, well, we, you don't need to know a lot of chords to actually play in a band. No, I saw we don't, um, no. Ed, Ed Sheeran the other no. day did a piece where he only plays three chords and he said you can play every song in yep. the top 40 register with three chords. Well, I think Elvis only played three yeah, chords. Yeah. And I think Kiss once said, I think Paul Stanley came out and once said that they only played three chords, yeah, all no. of their songs. No, so I wouldn't even call myself a guitarist, but okay. I could just, just could play a couple play of chords. Loud, yeah, loud, fast and loud. All right. You mentioned Kerry Packer. You, yes. You had the opportunity of meeting with him? No. Oh. Now, can okay. I say that? I never met face to face, but his presence was felt constantly. Um, so back in the day, 
very little live rugby league. So let's say on a Friday night, we'd be out calling a game for Channel 9 and it'd be an hour before kickoff and, and you know, you'd test your headsets, you'd come on and, and you'd be told, be careful what you say, he's watching. Because Kerry would have a live feed of the match going into his house, he might have friends over, might be wine and dinner, and he's hearing everything. So I, I thought, inspired by him, his interest in it, like through Gary Burns, the sports director, would be information feedback relayed all the time. So obviously I won Kerry over there, so thankful for that. But he would also challenge it. Like, Kerry would ring Gary up and, and say three weeks after a game would be played, what happened there on that Friday night game? Uh, Voss was calling with Sterling and the ball went out and it was the other team's feed, but it looked like it came to the hand. How did they, why didn't they explain that ruling? And uh, Kerry could, even though you know this is an incredibly wealthy man, but he, he saw the game through the eyes of the punter sitting on the lounge watching a, you know, 40-centimetre screen. He said, you know, we need to... And he was one of the ones... There was a big change in our commentary style where when Rabs and I were calling for Channel 9, where Kerry said, I want to now, look, there's three in every tackle now. I want to know who they are. So we then had to start identifying. There was more work for the commentator to do to identify all the different tacklers. It wasn't just one-on-one stuff. Mm. It was now three in the tackle. Kerry wanted to hear all three. If there's a kick chase downfield, he wanted to know who's chasing coming down the field. I can see it on the shot, but, you know. So, so Kerry, very invested in the mm. coverage. Well, I'll tell you very quickly my Kerry Packer story. I never met Kerry. No. But his father, Sir Frank Packer, brought out from Yorkshire a renowned printer to come and work here in the printing presses. Okay. And that was Ian Edward Bryden's father. So they came out uh, in the early 1950s, I think it was. Uh, Ian was born there. Uh, The rest of the boys were born here. And uh, Ian went on, of course, to become the founding father of Bryden's Lawyers. There you but go. But the family was actually brought out by Sir Frank Packer. Well, I understand the Frank Packer, like the history of that, like Kerry getting the live feed of the game. It goes further back to Frank back in the day when there'd be test pattern would come on at 10 o'clock and there'd be the races of the day. Frank would ring up the person at Channel 9 and say, oh, look, do you mind putting today's races on? And say, what? Oh, the film's come in. And, and the test pattern would go off and on would come the races one after another on film from Randwick that day at Frank's bequest. You know, like that, if you own a television station, isn't that what you do, Lee? You run what you can. Absolutely, you run every show that <laughs> yeah, you want. Yeah, that's it. Mine, mine and they did that. Back-to-back episodes of MASH and, and Seinfeld. Seinfeld. And whatever, <laughs> yes. that's right. Just run all that. 